Welcome to the House Top Podcast, the teaching arm of Oikos Ministries. Jesus said, Whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light, and what you hear in the ear, preach on the housetops. Join our host, Terrell Abair, as he teaches God's Word. Well, good evening, uh, Facebook friends, podcast friends, YouTube friends, all you guys out there who hear us from our various social media uh, platforms. Uh, this is uh, shouting it from the housetop. Everything we've heard in our ear, we're shouting it from the housetop. And we're grateful that social media provides a uh, platform and an amplification of the things that God has shown us. And we're Glad to get back into this. We're studying our book, Biblical Church. It's backwards on your screen. It doesn't work that way, but uh, uh, we're in the ninth chapter. Last week, we, we, well, we began to deal with the four pillars of the early church. And they were the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, breaking of bread and prayer. Last week, we coupled together apostles' doctrine and fellowship and we cover those in one teaching i won't be able to cover the next two topics in one teaching but uh, they are kind of a pairing but when we look at the idea of the apostles doctrine and fellowship we looked uh, at the the doctrines of christ and the our method and i'm not just saying this is the only way but our method that we've used i wrote a book called the principles of the doctrine of christ that we we uh help uh disciple people uh, through their, we first form a relationship with a person and kind of teach through these doctrines. And at the same time, two things are unfolding. We're making a disciple and building a relationship. And it's somewhere in that disciple making process that we've seen people born again over and over again. And we're very grateful for that, uh, Lord showing us that grace. So when we see the disciple making process in action, the real key, though, last week we covered and ended up with the punchlines and the, and the real thunder to the message, is that if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. And we use that idea of that walking in the light, defining that is that we would walk in fellowship with one another. And really building the idea that if we can't walk out what we actually believe, we don't just recite creeds here. We literally try to live out what our faith is about. And there's something about relational ministry that shines a light. It's uh, the authority. of the light. Actually, the whole structure of the church is light. And we even showed that from John 3.16. And everybody knows John 3.16. I won't even quote it, but it goes on to say that Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but to save it. And he said that this is the condemnation that was in the world. He said, if you don't believe in Jesus, you're already condemned. And this is the condemnation. Light came into the world and men would rather darkness than light. And we've been looking at this issue of the structure of darkness and the structure of light. If walking in the light means to have fellowship with one another, then what would walking in darkness mean? To walk without fellowship? And, and my contention has been throughout this teaching that the Augustine and Constantine errors of the traditional churches have literally created a structure of darkness. They brought us back to an old covenant congregational model. And the, it is not a New Testament principle. The idea of congregation, it's only mentioned one time in the New Testament, referring to an old Testament issue. And so we're not to build congregations. We're to build relationships and those relationships. Look, we're all limited in relationship. We can only handle so many. And even Christ himself had his 12 and he had to, he certainly had larger groups of disciples, but he had those that were nearest to him because it's, impo- it's logistically and humanly impossible to just have unlimited friendships unless you're really good at Facebook or something. And, and that's not really friendship. We know that. So anyway, let's get on with it tonight. We're in chapter nine, the four pillars of the early church, part three, uh, the breaking of bread. And so tonight, uh, just requote in Acts 2:42, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. Notice that conjunction in the breaking of bread and in prayers. And so, trying to see the New Testament church pull back the the, the great foundational issues of how the church, the early church, functioned. This one in particular, breaking of bread 
in my opinion, is one of the greatest revelations that moved me toward the house church ministry. And so when we look at breaking, even when we were in the old traditional way, this was a very important issue to me. As I read scripture, I certainly read the Lord's Supper. I, I considered the communion table. I grew up Roman Catholic, so I had, you know, it was in the Roman tradition that we took communion every Sunday. Now, the fallacy in the Roman Catholicism was the called the transubstantiation. Uh, I'll call it a theory, or they call it a doctrine. I'll call it a theory. The fact is that they believe that when the priest does this, now remember, the Mass starts off, he holds up a big wafer, the big one, and he holds it up and he says, Lord, accept this sacrifice at our hands to the praise and glory of his name to our, for our good and to all of his holy church. And it begins the what's called the sacrifice of the mass, which is the pinnacle of the Roman Catholic gathering, the sacrifice of the mass. They literally believe that every time this is enacted, they put Jesus to death. This is a fact. This is the this is absolute fact. And, and so they literally believe that when the priest finished his uh, incantation, I don't know what you want to call him, his, 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 his speaking over the, the bread and the wine, that it literally turns in the physical body and the physical blood of Jesus Christ. That you're literally in a, some form of cannibalism in so far as eating the bread and drinking. This is a factual, true thing. I'm not making this up. This is, go look it up. That, uh, even the, and to all you evangelicals who think you're safe, Martin Luther literally would fight you over this issue that he never recanted. He never repented. He when it was when he asked about transubstantiation, he would vehemently protest. This is my body. He would scream it out. He was he would get angry at anybody. Zwingli and Calvin, all of them held to the transubstantiation theory. That, and, and so it's amazing how many of your quote, reform churches still use infant baptism and transubstantiation. It's Presbyterian, Methodist, it's the, all of them. And so when you start looking at that, it's like, whoa. All right, these traditions, they say, well, it was a reformation. What was reformed? Basically, who was Pope? That's all that got reformed. So stay with me. We're dealing with the communion table. I always consider this a very sacred thing. And this just a little brief testimony. When I was a little kid, I mean, a little bitty fellow in the Roman Catholic Church. I remember one Sunday, the priest was standing there, and I remember he was holding it. He was all dressed with the fish hat and all this. And, and so he's got all this stuff going on. And I remember sitting there, and I'm just a little bitty tight. And, and I said, I could do that. And that week, I stole some bread. I didn't want to tell Mama what I was doing, so I went and stole some bread out of the pantry. And I, I got all the kids in the neighborhood together, and I gave them all communion. I had no idea what God. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so and so here we are uh, still giving communion. Praise the Lord. And so uh, anyway, let's get back to it. The the idea of breaking a bread was a very important issue. It's when I read the Lord's Supper and when I read other passages and tonight, uh, let's let's deal with first off the issue of where they get this idea on the transubstantiation. If you got your little white book. We have a, uh, we have it in here about transubstantiation. Um, I'll tell you what, let's go to the scripture. I'm going to talk to John chapter six. Excuse me one sec. John chapter six. Sixth chapter of John. Now, John, sixth chapter of John is a very long chapter. And, and this is literally where the transubstantiation theory comes from. In verse 51, Jesus said, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Now, this is where they start this from. The Jews, therefore, strove among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said to them, verily, verily, I said to you, except you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Now, this is where they get this from. This is where it comes from. Whoso eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eats my flesh and drinks my blood dwells in me, and I in him. As the living Father has sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eats me, even he shall live by me. 
This is that bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat manna and and are dead. He that eats of this bread shall live forever. These things said he in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Many, therefore, of his disciples, when they had heard this, said, This is a hard saying. Who can hear it? And when Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, he said to them, Does this offend you? What and if you shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before? Here's the key. It is the spirit that quickens. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. This is a this passage right here. This for it, you know, I consider some of those old guys who wrote some of this stuff, even back to Augustine and those guys, they were scholarly men. I mean, Augustine was a professional orator, and I'm I'm certain they had the understanding to 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 go into full context. And the full context of this, in no way could you derive cannibalism from this. He's literally referring, I'm the bread of life, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. And man, how many references we had? Man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word. He said, and the word was made flesh. And so Jesus embodied, he is the word of God. He is the personification of God's word. He's the word become flesh. And now he's word flesh in us. And so the idea of eating his physical body or drinking his blood is so off. It's, it's, it's literally uh, almost some, some juju superstitious kind of thing. And, and, and weird, and it's just bizarre to come to that interpretation. As a matter of fact, as we'll go on, we'll say the major issues do this in memory of me. Are we eating and we having a cannibalistic feast every time or are we having a memorial of to what Christ did for us? I think if you have any rationale, you'll say we're having a memorial because the Bible says that Jesus was once crucified. Once and to reenact and kill him again and again and again and really believe that you put Christ to death again, uh, what, 200, 250,000 times per day around the globe? The masses reenacting and really in their heart of hearts, they believe they're killing Jesus. I read this week or I heard this week where a, a priest over uh, in Arizona is, uh, uh, in, uh, has created a big stir because he wasn't baptizing properly. And, and when he baptized the baby, which is literally infant christening, he, he would say, we baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. He didn't say, I baptize you. And you say, well, that's splitting hairs, isn't it? Well, if you trace this back up the line, because it would be, you know, even logical to say we could include all the Roman priesthood or baptizing you. But no, 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 no. The I, the personification of if you trace this back up to the Roman Catholic belief system that, that literally they believe the pope is Christ on earth. He's the vicar. He is our go between him. Pope, whoever is the go between between God and man. Go test me if you think I'm wrong. And so when they say, I, when a priest says, I, it's like the deputy sheriff saying, I arrest you. And see, the deputy has been deputized by these sheriffs. So he speaks for the sheriff. Right. And so the priest has been uh, ordained by the pope. So he speaks for the pope. And when he says, I, he's literally saying, vicar, the go between the, the one intercessor between God and man. This is a very important part. So stay with me. Let's go to the next thing. That's where they get this transubstantiation teaching. And it literally, the reason I bring it up, because it's not just a Roman Catholic thing. If you start, you go, you Protestants, you go look into your situation too, because it's amazing to me how many Protestant Reformation people still hold infant baptism and transubstantiation. These are two major foundational errors. Okay. So we're in our chapter nine in the little white book here, and we're going to talk in first Corinthians chapter 11. <clears throat> I really love reading this from the NIV. I mean, not NIV. I don't like reading anything from NIV, the, N, uh, the new living translation. I don't read the NIV at all. The new living translation uh, really does a good job with how it does this. And, but I'm not reading from there, but here's new King James for, I received from the Lord that, which I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. 
When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body. In the same manner, he also took cup, the cup after supper, saying, This cup is in, in, in the new covenant in my blood. This do as off you drink it in remembrance of me. Here it is twice, remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now, I didn't read the full context of this in Romans, I mean, uh, Corinthians 11. But in the full context of this, he's, the Apostle Paul is really rebuking the Corinthians. He says, when you're coming together, you have no intention of taking the Lord's Supper. You're really coming over here to pig out. You're really coming over here. Some of you, you're eating all the, your groceries and you're drinking wine. Some of you are getting drunk. So this had turned into a, just a real sloppy uh, situation. And, and some, the, new, the, the old King James would almost lend to the idea that he was saying you're not supposed to eat the Lord's Supper when you get, gather together. I disagree with that totally because there's too much contextual evidence that says, because he, he goes right into here in 1 Corinthians, showing that this is exactly what we're supposed to do. I really believe the breaking of bread was a centerpiece of the early church gathering. And I think there's two parts to it. And one of them would be what we're dealing with here. Because if, if you look carefully at 1 Corinthians from chapter 11 all the way through chapters 14, I really believe you start seeing the work of the Holy Spirit. And, and really, it's the only real picture we have of the New Testament worship service. You look at this carefully, in particular for chapter 14, how is it, brothers, when you come together, every one of you has a psalm or a tongue or a doctrine interpretation. Uh, let all things be done unto edification. And so we start seeing the New Testament gathering that included every person, that although everyone participated. It, it's, a, it's a pretty significant thing to understand that there's no way you could do this in a, a group of 500 or 1,000 or even a hundred, it, it wouldn't work. And so, but when in the smaller gathering, this is totally a, a doable thing. And in particular, what I want to point out is that when they came together and broke bread and the apostle Paul calls to memory what Jesus did with his disciples, which would also further show me that what Jesus did would be significant uh, for what we should do in our New Testament gathers. This should be a major part. Now, remember, when Jesus ate the Lord's Supper or the Last Supper with his disciples, it was the Passover meal. Now, am I saying go do a Passover? Uh, totally not. I am not saying that. As a matter of fact, I'm, let me emphasize how much I'm saying no. Not, I believe the Passover was a figure of the truth. And now we're to do, now that we have the the anti-type. Why do we want to keep doing types? As a matter of fact, we've reduced almost all of Christianity to symbolism. We take symbolic baptisms because water is always symbolic of some other real baptism. All right. Uh, or we do symbolic communion, a cracker and a cup versus a meal. We do symbolic. Every, everything has become symbolism. Look, we have Christ now. We, our high priest is going into the heavens where the true tabernacle is. All right. I don't need to build a building. Why would I even try? The Bible says in Hebrews chapter eight, if Christ were here, he would not be a priest. He would not do that here. Not on earth. He's that in heaven. And we, we need to respect it. We need to understand that what we're trying to reenact here is really, it's, it's really going back to an old covenant. We need to, we don't need to mingle the new covenant and the old covenant. So stay with me on this thing. In uh, chapter 11, let's real quick. He says, <clears throat> I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. The Lord Jesus, the same night which he was betrayed. We're going to get to that in a few minutes. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take and eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. So Paul said, I got this right from Jesus. I'm going to give it right back to you. I'm giving you, this is what we do when we come together. All right. In the same manner, he took the cup after supper. This is the cup. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Again, the memorial service. Look carefully what it says. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, 
you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let me take this into a whole new realm, not just about our, our Sunday service or whenever we gather as a group. How about every time we eat a meal, we can remember the Lord's death until he come. We can literally every time you eat or eat with anyone say, could, could we bless the food before we start and remember what Jesus did, how his body was broken, how his blood was shed. Man, it's a great time to preach the gospel and testify to whoever you're eating with. Almost any heathen will bow their head with you for grace. They just didn't know they were fitting to get a full on Pentecostal right up in your face sermon. Huh? Now eat that. Mmm. Hallelujah. Turn me to Luke chapter 23. Luke 23. Or you can stay in your little book. It's right here. One more point before we move on to Luke. While you're finding that in, in your little book, look, in Acts chapter 20, verse 7, it says, Now on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, was somebody in here? What's the first day of the week? Sunday. Sunday. Sunday is the first day of the week when the disciples came together to break bread. What day? Sunday. Sunday. Paul, ready to part the next day, spoke to them and continued his message till midnight, which means I got a while where I can preach. If midnight's the key, I can do this. And so, no, the, the, j, j, look, the idea is that on the first day of the week, they came together and they broke bread. Now, was this the Christian norm? Was this that this is established in Sunday is the only day we worship? No, but I can tell you this much. There's this new wave of people saying we ought to all keep a Sabbath. Let me just uh, shoot at that just for a second here. Let, 41 years ago, I entered into the Sabbath rest of Christ. He is my rest. You understand that? The only, new, the only commandment in the New Covenant, uh, the only commandment of the law, the Ten Commandments, that's not reinforced in the New Testament is the Sabbath. As a matter of fact, Jesus said, I am uh, the Son of Man uh, is Lord even of the Sabbath. And so when you start saying the Sabbath, man was not made for the Sabbath, the Sabbath was made for man. That God wants men to enter into his rest. And we know that the Sabbath as the Jew taught it was one big old unkeepable, undoable thing. Why are we trying to go back to something that the Jew himself couldn't keep? It's ridiculous. I've been resting for 41 years in God. And that means, you know what? I labor to enter that rest and that rest alone. He said, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. You know what? And Isaiah 28 even said, speaking in tongues, this is the rest and this is the refreshing. You know what? Whenever you start trying to tell me how I need to keep the Sabbath, I'm just going to pray in tongues. And I'll rest while you work to try to convince me of something that you ain't moving me on. Hallelujah. Anyway, that's a big thing going on right now. So I don't know why all of a sudden all the Christians are Jews. That's terrible. Okay, stay with me. All right, Luke chapter 23. We're right there. Everybody ought to be there by now. All that talking. Uh, 22, excuse me. He says, in verse 13, they went out and found it just as he had said to them, and they prepared the Passover. When the hour had come, he sat down and the 12 apostles with him. Then he said to them, with fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Look at that. Jesus said with fervent desire. Now, he knows he's already prophesied over and over again. I'm going into Jerusalem. I'm going to be betrayed to the uh, chief elders and the pr- chief priests and all this. And they're going to crucify me. But I'm going to rise the third. He knew he was fixing to get t- killed. But look what's on his mind with desire, with fervent. What is fervent? burning desire? I have desired to eat this. It was overriding the, the, the impending doom, the death sentence that he was fixing to walk into volitionally. He, it, he, it, everything he desired was to eat this Passover. with. I want to eat this with you before I suffer. Wow. If we had the understanding of that, what we could face if we knew that the greatest thing that Christ could have is he said, I can't wait to do this. Come on, man. It enabled him to suffer. 
Man. Boy, if we could understand the nuggets and draw from what great revelations God wants to give us at the communion table. Stay with it. Watch. Fervent desire I've desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Let me give you good news right now, folks. Jesus said, when do you think that's some futuristic event now? Let me tell you, we're living in the age of the kingdom of God. Right now is the kingdom come. Jesus said, if I cast out devils with the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come to you. When we say thy kingdom come, we're praying right now. Oh, Lord, kingdom come. We're actually really saying, Lord, Pentecost come. Holy Ghost come right now. Holy Ghost come. Will of God be done. He said, I want to eat this Passover with you in the kingdom. And what do we do? Cracker in a cup. Let's symbolically. Did any of y'all ever drink that little cup and just, boy, I wish that had had that in a glass. And this cracker, I wish they'd have put some hamburger in between them. I'm hungry. I like good communion. Gumbo. Communion like God intended. Hmm? Chicken and sausage. Seafood. Come on. Huh? I'm almost speaking in tongues because good food. Eating together, you've anointed me with the oil of joy and gladness above my fellows. You see, I believe there's an anointing at the table when we fellowship. Look around, even the heathen like to eat together. There's a, there's a joy when we share life together because we're breaking bread and we're sustaining life. And we're, there's something, if, if I know you and, and we say, hey, how you doing? But when we eat together, we've changed our whole relationship. Ain't that something? Now you can't even get a family to eat together. They're all on their phone. I heard about a restaurant the other day. They'll give you 10% discount if you don't bring a cell phone. Good for them. Keep reading. Look at this. Jesus wants to eat the Passover with us now. What a wonderful way to see the manifestation of Christ right now at around our tables. But no, we're going to symbolically do this with a cracker and a cup. Protestant, poor Protestants, uh, we'll do it every fifth Sunday. What are we doing? Stay with me. Let's let this teaching come unfolded. Watch this here. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say to you, I'll not drink of the fruit of the vine until a kingdom of God comes. He took the bread, gave thanks, broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given to you. Do this in remembrance of me. So exactly what the apostle Paul quoted back. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. Now, let me just show you what God has shown me over the years. When, When I was traditional pastor, we did this every week to my shame, cracker in a cup. Right. The revelation was still little back then. But every Sunday we did this every Sunday, cracker in a cup, because I felt there was something there that portrayed the message of Christ. And I couldn't shake it. I couldn't let it go. Cracker in a cup. And so I'd give a little message. I have some of our leaders. Someone would testify and give a little message on the communion table. And one of the two of the great passages that I found, especially concerning the bread and the wine. One of them came from first Peter chapter two. I think it's there in your little book. If you want to look at that one in first Peter chapter two, it's on page 94. He says, for this, for the, to this, we were called, excuse me, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. Here we go. Who himself, Jesus, bore our sins in his own body. Look at that. Look at that. He bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness. By whose stripes you were healed, for you were like sheep going astray, but now you've returned to the shepherd an overseer or bishop of your souls. Wow. Look at there. In his own body. I want you to think about this. Uh, there's a little spot in your wrist right about here. 
And that's literally where the nails would go in. They would drive the nail through there. The same thing on your foot. And if you were to take that and and, and nail yourself in, or have yourself nailed up the way Roman crucifixion was, it was perfectly done and designed that as you fatigued, you would hang by your wrist against those nails. Now you think of your body weight pulling down against that one spot and the pressure, the pain, oh, the suffering. And in order to get your next breath of air, because after a while you just have to push up or you're not going to breathe anymore. You had to push against those nails that were in your feet and it would literally tear tendons and ligaments and maybe even eventually dislocate your whole knee and you couldn't push anymore. and that'd That'd be it. You're over. Now, not only was Jesus holding his physical body weight up, he took every curse of the law was compounded on him by there's 8 billion people on the planet from what I was. How many billions have lived here since day one? Mm. Multiply that. Remember, he bore ours in his body, our sin. And when we start thinking of the curse of sin, everything that had to do with the curse of the law, everything that happened in famine, in sickness and disease, in sword, wartime, in poverty, every pain, every leukemia, every headache, every nausea, every dismemberment, everything that ever happened to every person on the planet for every soul who ever lived. This was all going on in the omniscient one. It was all in a moment of time. No wonder he cried, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When I think the overload on his body as he he became that that scapegoat, as it literally uh, as the hands were laid on to impart our sin onto him. He took what we deserved. Can you think about the depressions, the, the, the guilt, the shame of those who have sinned? Every secret sin, every that is weighed heavy and depressed people to the point of suicide and all kind of terrible things to drugs and to alcohol. Can you think of that? All placed on him. Do this and remember to me. Because every time you eat this, you do show the Lord's death. It becomes significantly larger than saying, Jesus, I'm a sinner coming to my life. Forgive my sins. Turn to the book of Revelation, chapter 1. It's in your little white book if you just have that. Uh, Revelation 1, <clears throat> 4 through 7, it says, John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and was who is to come from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, firstborn from the dead and ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us, wow, and washed us from our sins in his own blood, has made us kings and priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he's coming with him with clouds and every eye will see him and they who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, Amen. Think about it. He loved us and he washed us from our sins in his own blood. When I consider that in his body, he bore our sins on the tree. When you and I begin to get the revelation of what took place physically in the body of Christ, that he took our sin, he took your sin. Think about it. I want every person in the sound of my voice, let this Let it be the arrows of God shooting right into your heart. Let them hit you in your mind. Let them begin to cut through your old hard conscience and your hard heart. I pray that fresh blood is drawn tonight and you begin to understand this. May it it cut through the most seared part of your being to feel it again that your sin was put on Jesus. You're guilty and he wasn't. The innocent is carrying the blood or the the guilt and the shame of the guilty. 
The righteous is dying in place of the unrighteous. It's the most unfair act that ever took place on this planet. Crucifixion of our Lord. And then he loved you so much. Think about it. He loved us so much. I remember the day I was in that crane at work and I, I was an operator and, it, and the revelation that his, he took what I deserve. It, it came pouring in for the first time. I understood the gospel. I knew it all my life, but now I understood it. He took what I deserve, the guilt, the shame, the, oh, the inequity. I couldn't stand the idea that what I had done went on him. I, I said it out loud. It is not fair. I cried. It out, it's not fair. It's not fair until my heart broke. And I began to weep over that. And I can remember the love of God fill that little ca cabin I was in. It filled the place up. And I was so ashamed. I said, oh, God, don't even look at me, much less love me. He loved us and he washed us from our Look, I don't believe anybody should ever hear about the love of God until they know how guilty we are and how ashamed we should be. Quit telling people. Don't tell a narcissist God loves them. <laughs> You're putting fuel on the fire. I remember when the love of God, I surrendered. I just said, oh, God, please have mercy. And the love of God filled my heart and it displaced every, like my sins poured out of my eyes that day. My heart got warm and I wasn't mad no more. I was so, peace came in like a river. Come on. He loved us and he washed us from our sins in his own blood. Anybody want to go to lunch and let me pray for the meal? Come on, take me to your favorite restaurant. Take me to your mama's house. Let me go at him. I'll pray for, I'll pray till the food gets cold. Come on, man. Maybe your heart will warm up. Glory be to God. When we see this picture of the, they came together and on the first day of the week, they broke bread together. They ate bread together. All right. They ate a meal. I believe it was a full meal. I don't think it was a Passover reenactment that we need to act over. I believe that the early church, because think about it, all them Gentiles were coming. Now Acts 10 doesn't open a door where even us Cajuns could eat at the table. Huh? Because huh? we eat anything, folks. If you're out there and you're from a different state, you understand we eat everything. You warm it up and it's just all of it's good if you cook it right. And Acts 10 said that the, no, what Jesus clean, don't call it common. So we eat pigs. Wild domestic don't matter. Hallelujah. <laughs> we think vegan is a word for bad hunter. <laughs> Hallelujah. Stay with me. The road to Emmaus is probably one of the most fantastic words that we have on this issue. I'm in Luke 24. We're on page 96 in your little white book. The road to Emmaus. Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day. Now let me just tell you, Jesus had already died, buried, and rose the third day, and it was starting to be reported, hey, he is risen. This is an amazing story to me. When I, when I read it from sitting where I'm sitting now, I just, I'm, I'm thinking one of the disciples' name was Cleopas, and the, they, we don't know who the other one was, but I'm thinking, man, after this was, I bet they felt so dumb. Listen to this. Oh, this is so great. Watch, watch careful. Two of them were traveling that same day to the village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. They talked together. Of all these things which had happened. So it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Oh, boy. Now, I'll tell you one thing, folks. I, even look, unbeliever, heathen, I don't care. you. When you start having a serious dialogue about Jesus, when you start truly reasoning about Christ, even if you're ignorant as can be about it. He'll draw near to that conversation. He wants to see who's serious. Okay. He drew near to this one. This one gets good. Watch careful. 
but their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. I really believe there's many people today whose eyes are fixed where they can't really know the risen Jesus. You might know baby Jesus in the manger. You might know uh, uh, Jesus, the healer, carpenter's son. You might know Jesus on the cross, but you might even, but you don't know Jesus as he is now, the risen victor who took over hell. He took the keys from hell and death and is seated at the right hand of God. We're talking about he is seated and is waiting till every enemy be, be made his footstool. He's king of kings and Lord of lords. He ain't the lamb no more. He is the king. Name above every name. Come on, man. Amen. Huh? I believe some of our eyes are fixed on our old tradition. You, Mary, mother of God, is holding Jesus. Oh, dead Jesus. I got this. Don't pray to Mary. I promise you, Jesus is above Mary. Mary ain't God. And she ain't deity. Hallelujah. Somebody, some of you Catholics out there shout yes with me out there. Stay with it. Watch carefully. <clears throat> see, I believe some of your eyes are fixed right now. You can't see Jesus as he is. You, matter of fact, there's so many made up Jesuses right now. You only see what you think. You, you only see the Jesus you invented in your own opinion. You wouldn't do no different if you sat down with your pocket knife and whittled you out a two by four Jesus. Americans are supposed to be so smart and sophisticated, but we're more superstitious than, than I, I've been in some really superstitious play. I would, my first missionary journeys in, were into Haiti and I, we're more suspicious, superstitious than the, the Haitians. We're so goofy. We believe all kind of witchcraft and silliness because we don't know the word of God. Our eyes are fixed on something we don't even understand. Stay with it. Jesus came near them. They couldn't see Jesus. Verse 17, he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and you're so sad? Then one of those whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> have you not known the things which happened in these days? He said to them, what things? <laughs> Can you imagine? He was, it's Jesus. He's the one it all happened to. Are you just a stranger here, dude? Really? Oh, do tell. Tell me all about it. What happened? Come on, man. Watch carefully. He said to them, what thing? They said, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth. A prophet mighty indeed in word before God and all the people and how the chief priests and the rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. We were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, beside all this, today's the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. When they did not find his body, they came saying they had seen a vision of angels and said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. Then he said to them, look, man, they couldn't understand the good report. They couldn't receive it yet. Their eyes were not opened yet. Please hear me, folks. I believe some of you have an intellectual understanding, a historical knowledge of Jesus. Your head might be full of Bible. And I guarantee Jesus. You remember, there's a verse in Matthew seven that says many are going to say in that last day, Lord, Lord. Didn't we cast out devils in your name and we healed the sick and raised the dead? We did all kind of wonderful things. We spoke in tongues. We danced at church and he'll say, depart from me. I never knew you. Maybe the most frightening passage to religious people there is. That there is a way to know Jesus historically, biblically, all that, and still not know him. As a matter of fact, the Bible says, Jesus himself said, take heed that the light that's in you be not darkness. Because if the light that's in you is darkness, how great is the darkness thereof? 
See, there's a religious darkness. What if you are in a structure of darkness? What do you think? I do these religious services. I'm an active member in my church. I, I'm there weekly and I, I do all this stuff. But you got not one Christian friend. you got no one who you fellowship with. You're not in anyone's life. They don't know your life. You don't know theirs. All you know is the program. You're faithful to the program, yet you're walking in darkness. Not in the light of fellowship. Come on. That's a Selah moment. I, 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 hear the, I hear the gears turning out there in cyberland. Stay with it. Watch careful. Then he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. He took old covenant, Moses to Malachi, and he was hammering it down. Boy, he was oh, a prophet like unto me. Him shall you hear. It, it, just one after another. Boom, 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 boom. Every prophecy in the old covenant. Could you imagine the word expounding the word? Boom, 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 boom. They had seven mile walk. <laughs> if I was with them, I mean, it'd take them a while. I'm slower. I'm getting slower by the day. Keep on. But who would want to hurry when you're hearing Jesus himself expound the scripture? Stay with it. Then they drew near to the village where they were going and he indicated that he would go further but they constrained him saying, abide with us for it's toward evening and the day is far spent. Listen, somebody is going to have to constrain him. And I mean, really hold on. You're going to have to put some kind of compelling argument in the ear of Jesus and say, whoa, Jesus, don't walk away now. Some of you have come so close in your life. I really believe there are multitudes sitting on a cold church bench or in a cold pew, or maybe you're in an exciting church, but you know you're not there. And it's time for you to say, wait a minute, Jesus. Don't, don't, don't pass me by. Don't, don't split up from here yet. I have to know. I can't let go of you. Like Jacob, I won't let you go till you bless me. Like Moses, God had to say, Moses, leave me alone. <laughs> Stop, Moses. Quit praying so I can go judge him. No, hold on, God. Some of you out there need to constrain Jesus. Some of you have had ignorant conversations, but well-meaning. I'm not talking to the scoffer or the blasphemer. I'm talking to the, the sincere soul who's just ignorant, but in their heart of hearts would say, I want Christ. Maybe he's been misrepresented in your church. Maybe traditions have swallowed him up and zeal for the house have eaten him alive. But please hear me constrain Jesus. Compel him to stay with you till you get this. Watch carefully. Watch carefully. They constrained him saying, abide with us, stay with us, dwell with us, live with us. For it's toward evening, the day is far spent. He went to stay with them. Now it came to pass as he sat at the table with them. He took bread, blessed it, broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they knew him. What? How did their eyes open? There got to be something about eating with Jesus. Huh? He blessed it. Thank you, Lord. For the salvation that sprung up out the ground, you sent your rain and watered the seed and this bread came forth and hallelujah. Thank you, God, that you built this bread for us. Glory be to God. He broke it when he did. Double tape. Whoops. Their eyes open. We were talking earlier. I delivered a goat yesterday. This is a true story. I delivered a baby goat. And when you do this, the, 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 the goat, I had to reach in there and turn that goat. I had to get its feet out. So it was backwards and I had to pull that goat out. And so 
the, 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 the matrix was open. And this is literally what, go look it up if you think I'm just trying to, <laughs> the matrix, that's like, it's pretty amazing. This happened yesterday. An opening just way enlarged itself so that baby could come forth. It literally means the opening of the matrix here. And when you consider this idea that this is how the new birth takes place, that when the eyes of the understanding are enlightened, this is past knowledge. This is not just you having cognitive information transferred into your brain and you saying, oh, I know that. No, 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 no. This is when the eyes of the understanding and your heart opens and the God reveals his son in you. Their eyes were open and they knew him. This was a whole different thing. This is even different from when they walked with him on the earth before he was resurrected. Now they knew him. They were trying to figure him out back then. Now they knew him. Stay with this. Watch careful. Watch what it says. Their eyes were open and they knew him and he vanished from their sight. Physical vanished, but boy, something had happened spiritually that now. I got it. I I get it now. I, I understand. Stay with it. And then they said one to another, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scripture to us? You see, when Christ is in the meal and the, and the, the opening of scripture will cause the heart to just catch on fire. I mean, I remember before I got saved, I was back in the old wild days. I remember this guy was saying, I went to an exciting Bible study last night. I went, whatever. I thought, oh, that sounded, I was, I was, I was scoffing at, at a man saying how sturdy he was at a Bible. I was so stupid. How dumb could I get? I had no idea what I was scoffing at. Some of you scoffers out there are just some of you even dumber than I was. But hear me carefully. I was dumb, plenty dumb enough for all of us. But hear me carefully. When 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 you break bread with Christ, when he opens the scripture, there's nothing like it. Nothing like it. Consider this, you party animal, you consider this. okay? I've been where you going. You ain't been where I've been. Everyone will swap party stories. I was there. And the end of that ain't nothing but death. By the way, all you Christian Mardi Gras goers, you cannot be a reveler and inherit the kingdom of God. So don't show me your Mardi Gras picture on Facebook and say, praise the Lord. That just is, you can't get that dumb and still breathe. You're, you don't have the right apparatus in you. You cannot be a Christian reveler. You cannot enter the kingdom of God. You need to repent of Mardi Gras while you're sitting here. While we're talking about foolishness. He opened the eyes of their understanding. And some of you need to know that tonight. All dressed up in your tuxedo ball and going out there. Or if you even get dressed, some of you getting naked so you can catch beads. How stupid is that? You know, you can buy them beads for like a, 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 a dollar for 144 of them. And you over there showing yourself naked to get a less than a half of a tenth of a percent of a. I got a bead. Ooh. At what price? It's insanity. Stay with it. Watch carefully. Did not our heart burn with us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened scripture? How many of you out there said, I can't understand the Bible? It's because your mind is carnal. The carnal mind cannot understand the scripture. This ain't your history book. This ain't your algebra book. This is the divine word of God. Carefully stay with it. So they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem. Man, that's, that's quite a hike. And found the eleven, those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And they told him about the things that had happened to him on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. If there's ever a way I want folks to know Jesus, it's in the relational structure at the table, breaking bread. Sunday, we were gathered together around the table and we broke bread and scripture. Just it was just like. I'm sure Jesus was there with us. I was anointed. It was really cool. And that's what it does, man. The breaking of bread.
One more passage I want to cover before we shut it down tonight. Two more, actually. In the book of Revelation, chapter 3, 20 through 22, I think it is, to the church of the Laodiceans, Jesus is saying, uh, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will open the door, I will come into him, and I will sup with him, and he with me. See, I believe the Laodicean church age is the age we're in now. And I believe what Jesus wants to do right now is restore this back to the church right now. The relational method. Do you understand, boy, especially right here in South Louisiana, we love to eat together. Can you understand? Skip church Sunday. Go to the restaurant. Go to your house. Cook a meal, mama. Somebody cook a meal. And bring every bring your friends and family over. And everybody say, hey, I want to tell you uh, when what happened. That. Let's let's bow. Let's say grace. Jesus died on the cross. He absorbed my sins on the cross. And somebody began to testify of how he took our sins on the cross and how he loved us so much and his blood was shed. Can you imagine your family gathering? That's more church than all the Sunday schools and all the 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 the, the uh, programs and all the uh, uh, I, I was thinking about the you know. I pastored pastors years ago, and I'm going to tell you straight up, most pastors, all they ever do is plan for the next service. That's all they got in them. We're going to plan the service. We're going to choreograph the service. Let's see if you could do that for the Holy Ghost. Man, have a meal. And let the Holy Ghost let all heaven break loose at your table. Let him do whatever he wants to. Let folk cry. Let relationships get healed. Pray for each other. Read the Bible to each other. Just all you got to expound it. Just read it. Jesus will show up and mess you up. He'll do it. Look at look at this. He said, behold, I stand at the door. and I want to come in. You need to have this experience. I'm telling you, you need to have this experience that Jesus comes in and eats with you. The Holy Ghost will come into where you're dining and he will he will he will literally transform your meal into the holiest time you could ever possibly have. Stay with it. Last one. Revelation chapter two, one through seven. To the angel of the church of Ephesus, write These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience. Cannot bear those who are evil. You've tested those who say they're apostles and are not and have found them liars. I wonder how that worked. <laughs> Liar! <laughs> You've persevered and have had patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have something against you. You've left your first love. Look at there. We'd call this a red hot church. We go, whoo, that church over there. They throwing down over there. They calling out them liars. By name. Ooh. In that in that non-Christian now. Keep on. Watch careful. You've persevered. Wait, nevertheless, I have something against you. You've left your first love. Remember, therefore, from whence you've fallen. Look at there. You've fallen. Repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place. Unless you repent. But this you do have that you hate the deeds of Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Remember, this is Jesus speaking. There are some people he hates what they do. I won't get into that tonight, but that's a real that's the real Jesus. The real Jesus hates some things. Most of that has to do with fake Christianity. Keep on going. Let me finish up. He who has an ear to hear what he's let the spirit. What the Spirit says to the churches, to him that overcomes, I will give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Now, I want you to hear it carefully. I have something against you. You left your first love. <clears throat> now, many years I believed, and, and, and I don't think it's very wrong. I think most people believe that mean your, your love kind of cooled off and you're not just as red hot as you were at the very beginning. Okay. I don't think that's too terribly wrong of an interpretation, but I don't think it's the exact right interpretation of this. As a matter of fact, 
a guy named Dick Rubin, a Messianic Jew from the Brownsville Revival, taught it this way. He said, you've left your first agape meal. You quit doing the agape feast. Throw away that cr- cup and that cracker. Make a roux. <laughs> and cook something. Eat a meal together. Break bread together. Read scripture together. Pray for one another. And I'm going to meet you there and I'm going to open some blind eyes. Come on. The first love is the restoration of the agape feast, the agape meal. Many of you have fallen out of church. How about doing this? Have church at home around your table. That's way better than going back to the religious institution. Just go have church at your table. I say that unashamedly, unapologetically. You're not skipping church. You might be the first time you ever had church in your life. Amen. Eat a meal. Read scripture. Pray for one another. God bless. See you next week. We are so thankful that you joined us for this teaching today. It's our sincere prayer that many of you would be born again through hearing God's word. If you were blessed by this podcast, we would love to hear from you. For more information on Oikos Ministries, visit us on our website, www.housechurchesusa.com.